you're telling people to ask for help, first of all, when they're so depressed that they probably can't use the phone. Mm. If, you mm-hmm. know, if you're at, at that point where you're like that suicidal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then second of all, you're not addressing like the, you know, what happens when some people ask for help. Welcome to And Then Everything Changed, a podcast about the pivotal moments in life and decisions that define us. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today, my guest is Debbie Lechtman, who is an Israeli Costa Rican writer and jeweler based out of Los Angeles. Welcome, Debbie. Hi. Thanks for being here. I'm so excited we connected. So I first found your work, actually, well, it's funny because I first found you because of other sites that I followed, and I was interested both in the beautiful jewelry you create, which I can't wait to send listeners over to see, although a lot of times it gets sold out because it's so beautiful, and I think then people just have to wait for the next round. And also, (laughs) yeah, also because of your advocacy for mental health and mental health support, and then actually, I, w- I should add a, a triple there. The, the third reason is because you have been posting a lot of information about um, Jewish identity and anti-Semitism, and I'm Jewish, and I've learned so much from your posts. So just as an introduction, that's like the giant umbrella that I come to you for with mm-hmm. this conversation. <laughs> so I guess the first thing I'd want to ask you is just, you know, when did you start making jewelry? I was always really interested. Um, I didn't really start making it officially, I want to say, until 2014. Um, I had just graduated from college, and I had just moved to Austin. And, you know, I was a copywriter, but I was really bored with my job. So I just decided that I was going to do something for fun. It was jewelry. And it just became like such a fun outlet for me, but it was still not a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I don't know, it, it just grew from there. Like I started with an Etsy and then um, I ended up moving to San Francisco for grad school. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your grad school in, by the way? Uh, it was an MFA in creative writing. Oh, okay. Totally not jewelry related, but you know. <laughs> I mean, I've been writing recently, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> well, I have Instagram. an MFA too, so I didn't realize we shared the MFA in writing. Cool, yeah. Um, yeah, so I moved to San Francisco, and when I was in San Francisco, I got really, really sick. Um, very long story, but I basically was in and out of the hospital for like six months, and couldn't really keep up with school. and so whenever I had the energy to like do anything, um, I would just make jewelry. It was really therapeutic for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I guess 2018 is when I really, you know, really started selling full-time. And when I started Roots Metals, um, because before it was just, you know, a random Etsy. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah. As an artist creating you know, I find that sometimes it's hard for me to gauge how much I I went for it because I had a passion for it and how Mm -hmm. much I had the confidence to go for it because I got some positive 
feedback. So what, what was the, when you look back to when you were beginning, what was sort of the balance between getting a really good uh, reception for what you created and the, the need to make it yourself and the knowledge that you had something special? Um, I actually, you know, people always tell me like, oh, you're really talented, blah, blah, blah. But like, I actually, jewelry is a very specific art form that you have to learn, right? It's not like you just drawing or whatever, which you can do, you know, pretty much on your own. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to like learn the technique. Like I had all these ideas in my head, right? But I didn't have the technique um, to actually like follow through with them. And I don't, you know, I don't think I was or am especially talented. I think I, you know, especially when I was sick, I just was making a lot of stuff and I got better and better. And now I'm like closer to, to like what I envision in my head is Mm -hmm. closer to what it actually is, but it's taken a really, really long time. Um, so (laughs) I don't know, I don't know if it was really like people praising me. Um, cause I don't, you know, I don't really think they did at first because I was just, it was like learning to walk. Like mm-hmm. I didn't know anything. Um, yeah, it was. I can't draw either. So like all the oh, ideas. Interesting. Yeah, they were just in my head. I mean, some people think I can draw, but I don't think I can draw. Um, <laughs> but my sister's like a painter, so I guess I just you know I I can't compare. Right. But you're like gonna um, stay out of that arena. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I feel like it was more more so that like as time went on and it, it was just very healing for me like at first I wasn't really selling anything um and so yeah I, I you know I don't really think I was particularly motivated by what other people were saying mm-hmm. <laughs> and like even to this day I you know I I don't believe compliments so there's do that. you believe the sales <laughs> I'm always very surprised um (laughs) and you know it it wasn't always like this it was really this year when it started just like flying off Mm -hmm. the shelves Mm -hmm. um I don't know what shelves because I don't have any shelves (laughs) but you know what I mean um (laughs) it's more like really messy drawers um but yeah I it's very new for me that this Mm -hmm. is happening Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm super grateful, but I'm also very confused <laughs> because <laughs> like, you know, I feel like sometimes when you, um, think that, you know, an artist is like an overnight sensation, like that's not true. Like there's right. years and years and years, um, behind that, um, that you don't see. And for me, that's how it feels. I mean, it was, it was a few years where I wasn't even trying to sell anything. It was just me trying to find a way to like cope with what was going on in my life. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is bizarre for me. I don't know. Yeah. And can you, you know, you've mentioned that a little bit that you were sick and I know that mm-hmm. you, you, you said that there was a lot happening for you. And I also know that you've said to me in an earlier conversation that for a while you were living in two different worlds where mm-hmm. you were creating this jewelry and, and let me know if I have this wrong, but that you were creating this work, this jewelry, and, and you were a jeweler, this new jeweler, but you were trying mm-hmm. to keep your personal life and your, I think your spiritual and emotional journey, your psychological journey out of it. Is that accurate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then something changed. So do you, are you able to talk a little bit about what was happening for you, especially in those six months when you weren't good, when you were, where were mm-hmm. you sick? 
and then a little bit about what happened after that. Yeah, so um, the whole thing with me being sick was super random. Um, I went to visit my family. My family lives in Costa Rica, and <laughs> my sister's dog gave me a very, very rare disease. Um, it's common in dogs, not in oh, humans. Wow. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I always knew I was part dog. Um, <laughs> and it was, you know, I, it was also when I just moved to San Francisco from Austin and, um, it, you know, it started as me getting like knee pain. I think it was, I went on a run one morning and it was like out of nowhere, like my knee hurts so bad. Um, and yeah, it was like joint pain. And then I started getting a lot of, um, GI issues <laughs> that like mm -hmm. came out of nowhere and you know it, it was kind of like I, I, I don't know if you've had experience with GI issues but it's yeah. always like it's always like um you know they're like oh you know it's probably like acid reflux and like yeah they're um, kind of it's a mysterious air it's a mysterious realm there's it seems to it be really like so many things can happen that cause that and so they don't yeah. ever really know yeah it really is so strange um so, you know, they gave me like stuff for acid reflux. I wasn't doing anything. So they're like, oh, you might have an ulcer. Um, so they did an endoscopy and colonoscopy and everything looked great. But at the same time, it was like, I, I could not, I could not eat anything. I could barely move. Um, I like anything I tried to eat. I just got sick. Hmm. Um, it was it was really frightening and at the same time um you know they couldn't find anything it was like months and months they couldn't find anything you know it got to a point where I was in San Francisco it got to a point where I was like I need to go home to my dad um because mm -hmm. I I cannot you know function um so I went home and my dad took me to a doctor and the doctor basically saw me and was like, you, you need to be hospitalized. Like, we don't know what's wrong, but, um, you know, you just don't look good. So, um, they, um, hospitalized me and they, I mean, they did every test, every single test in the book. Like it was, it was ridiculous. Um, and I was, you know, I was like losing weight. I just, I did not look good. Um, I mean, I was very frustrated. I was so frustrated because yeah. it, it just felt like they've done everything and they can't figure out what's wrong. And, you know, I started like really getting in my head that I, it was like psychosomatic or whatever. <clears throat> so it was, it was definitely very confusing and frightening. Um, but, um, it was after the fact that like my depression really like set in. It was like once I'd survived, it was when like my mind started to go. Um, they, my dad was basically like, all right, come back, put me back in the hospital. Mm -hmm. It was like, it was like a lot of back and forth. Um, can't find anything. So discharge. Oh, you're not looking good. Let's put you back in. Um, and they finally found out what it was. Um, it, was? <laughs> <laughs> it, it was. It was like, it was a tick-borne disease. 
it's not Lyme. It's mm-hmm. way more rare than that, but it's kind of a similar concept, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but it had just like wrecked my nervous system, which was causing my GI issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually ended up with the the whole, um, my GI issues were actually a thing called uh, gastroparesis. I don't know if you know what that is. No, <laughs> I haven't heard of it. It's basically your stomach is paralyzed. Um, my goodness. And that happened because, you know, like the infection, like just wrecked <laughs> my nervous system. So yeah, they gave me antibiotics um, because, you know, it's an infection, but basically the damage had already been done. <laughs> so oh, wow. um, with my stomach at least, and it actually took a really, really long time for for it to go back to normal, but it seems, you know, like knock on wood that it's like, it, it got better. It took like four years, but it got better. Holy Manoli. Wow. That's a long time. Yeah. So, so you mentioned that you experienced as a result of this, or maybe, you know, dovetailing into this depression. Yes. Had you experienced depression prior to getting the gastro, is it paralysis? Is that right? Gastroparesis. <laughs> gastroparesis. Had you experienced depression before the gastroparesis? Yes. Um, I don't think that I knew it was depression. I've experienced depression like on and off my whole life. I think it's, I was actually talking to my therapist about it yesterday. And I think that's just like the way that my brain is wired. Um, but you know, it's, it's been like on and off my whole life, but after that whole ordeal, it just, it it took me down. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and, you know, I, I didn't understand it because I was like, like, this makes no sense. Like, I'm, I'm feeling better now. Like, why would I just get depressed now? Um, mm-hmm. So I think I was super judgmental of it. Um, and that didn't help. Um, I, then a lot more things happened that, you know, it was just kind of like snowball effect of like, like one bad thing after the other. And it just, you know, it got to a place where when I actually started Roots, um, so that was 2018, it was like the lowest of the low. Um, I was in a very, very bad place. Um, Did you have support while you were, so it sounds like your father and the hospital helped you with your physical illness. Mm -hmm. Did you have anyone to help you with your depression? I think that, mm, let me see how to put this. I think that my family has really for a long time, like misunderstood mental health and how it works. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that since I was a little kid, um, I probably didn't get the right support in that area. Um, I don't blame my parents or anything I just don't think that they understood like I don't think that they understood that depression is more than just you know being sad um so there's that um I also think and you know there's like a lot of mental illness in my family but had had your family for the people who had been coping with mental illness in your family 
did other family members understand, support, or acknowledge those illnesses? Um, you know, yes and no. I, I think sometimes they got to a point where someone was clearly not doing well, but I don't think it was really understood or supported. I think it was more like dealt with, mm. if that makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. Would it be fair to say that instead of, um, was there like a lack of empathy there and more of what are we going to do to kind of mm -hmm. take care of this? Yeah, basically. And I mean, I don't, you know, I don't really want to tell anyone else's story. Um, I, I, I don't feel, you know, that it's really yeah. my place. Um, but it was, it was very much like brushed under the rug and just kind of, um, it wasn't, it was like a very empathetic place. And I think when I first started, I guess, showing signs of like mental illness when I was, I was um, a teenager, it wasn't understood as that. It was just understood as like I was being difficult or um, whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. um, Which is already a difficult time too. Did you, yeah. did you find any support or friendships or mentors that did seem to understand or give you what you needed? Um, so, I mean, I had a really good friend. She's still my friend. <laughs> it was like the one person that I could really talk to in high school about all this stuff. And then um, there's like a college counselor that I would go into her office and cry. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> mm -hmm. But it was, you know, it wasn't, I, I think I needed that from my parents, you know, not <laughs> a college sure. counselor. Sure. Um, and yeah, I I think that I mean still to this day it's it's pretty misunderstood. Um what do you encounter the most when you you know you're kind of in this place of I feel like you're really you make it very clear what your what your experience has been and and what you're coping with when when I look at your posts on Instagram and you, mm -hmm. you seem right now to be embracing sort of this education, you know, this mental health awareness mm -hmm. and support and advocacy. Um, and what do you think people misunderstand a lot about mental health? Um, I, think, I think there's like two things. One of them is more, um, which is what I've dealt with uh, my family, um, it's kind of like this idea that you can just get over it or, you know, you've got such a great life, just, you know, don't get upset about silly things or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and there's that. But then I, I also think, which is what I address more on my Instagram because, like I said, I'm, you know, I'm not going to like put my family on blast or anything, but what I address on, I address on my Instagram is that the, the way we talk about mental health is not enough. Um, we talk about, you know, reaching out if you need help or, you know, um, it gets better, like all this stuff, which, you know, is great, but we're not really addressing a lot of the root, like society issues that make um, reaching out like almost impossible for some people. I mean, um, for me specifically, I was you know, when I uh, started Roots and I was really going through a hard time with my mental health, um, I was also going through 
immigration proceedings and and basically you know they do like a whole like health thing that you have to fill out and whatever when you apply and if you've had any sort of mental health issues like recorded mental health issues they can deny your visa or your green card or whatever um if they deem you like a danger to yourself or society um things like that you know that made me very very hesitant to like ask and you were trying to move to this country or I was already here I was just trying to like change my status Mm -hmm. um and but yeah it it mean I didn't want to be honest about how I felt because I knew that I would end up hospitalized and I knew that would be on my record Mm, wow um it's things like that. I mean, you know, you're telling people to ask for help, first of all, when they're so depressed that they probably can't use the phone. Mm. If, you mm-hmm. know, if you're at, at that point where you're like that suicidal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then second of all, you're not addressing like the, you know, what happens when some people ask for help? Like, you know, like, um, people have been murdered by police during during um, wellness checks. You know, mm-hmm. it's stuff like that that no one's talking about. Like, I I just don't feel like the way that we're talking about mental health is even close to enough. And that that kind of you know was the the fire in me that sparked mm-hmm. this whole thing because it just it upset me. It upset me that we're talking about you know suicide prevention and mental health awareness and all this stuff but we're not addressing why people don't ask for help or what happens when they ask for help or you know people don't have some people don't have insurance or if they have insurance like what happened to me they don't want to pay for it um I, I just feel like it's very unfair to tell a person who's suffering like the responsibility is on you it's, you, you make the mention call. that you you mentioned that because I know that you posted that September is suicide prevention month and Mm-hmm. That was really the first time that I've read that. I mean, I think if I thought about it, I might have understood that it's too difficult if you're mm-hmm. in that position and condition to reach out. Like it's, you know, there are these hotlines that that people recommend people who are feeling suicidal call, but you have to already be in, in, a, in a good enough place to even understand that you need help exactly. to make that call. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like, even for me, like I get overwhelmed, like, answering my friends text messages like I'm not gonna call a stranger you know and I mean it's mm-hmm. it's great if it works for you and I know that they're very helpful for a lot of people but it, it's just not it, it, it seems like a phony conversation for me because yeah it, it's that's not what we need to be addressing like but you know people who are suicidal obviously need help we all know that but what we really should be addressing is the stuff around it that makes it very hard or, or even impossible for some people to get help or to ask for help. Yeah. And and yeah. so I think a great proportion of people do suffer from mental illness and mental illness covers a whole range mm-hmm. of, of differences in mental health. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and this, the suicide part, do you feel that, you're a very different person from where you were when that happened or how do you how do you move on or incorporate that experience with where you are now 
Um, so I, I was actually talking to my therapist about this yesterday. And when I first started seeing her, I had, I had a very hard time, like, dealing with intense emotions like I feel emotions super intensely um it, it's just you know it, it was it was unmanageable um and when I would get in certain places I, I would feel very suicidal because you know that was just me like if I felt sad it was like the the end of the world and I just felt like I needed to die mm-hmm. <laughs> um you know it it sounds dramatic, but it was more like, you know, like mishandling of just, I wasn't able to tolerate, I think that's the word, like tolerate, like internal, like discomfort, I guess. Um, because I felt everything or I feel everything so intensely. And I thought at the time that my goal in terms of my mental health should be to to get to a place where I wasn't depressed anymore um and I was telling my therapist yesterday that I actually had come to understand that that's not the goal because you know like I said I think depression or depressive episodes is just kind of how my brain is wired but Mm -hmm. I think being able to tolerate them better and understand what's happening and you know, no, because I, you know, I have intrusive thoughts about suicide all the time. Um, Because I have OCD. And that's kind of like, one of the things, you know, like people think OCD is like cleaning, but Mm -hmm. it's, you know, that's not how, how it works for me. For me, it's more like intrusive thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, And suicide is one of them. And, you know, just understanding what it is and understanding that it's going to come back and, mm-hmm. and that's fine that's fine like it doesn't mean that I have to act on it or it doesn't mean that I have to freak out it's just you know it's going to come and go I wonder though I'm so curious like your experience of the need for suicide that they, that suicide is the best option has yeah. that changed and has your tolerance for the feeling changed I think the tolerance has changed for sure. It takes a lot more to set me off Mm -hmm. than I used to. Um, Like it takes a lot more for like the thoughts to take over my rational thoughts, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does. Um, Because it's like two things, right? Like it's like my normal quote unquote thinking brain and then like the intrusive thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it takes a lot more for like the intrusive thoughts to take over. They're always kind of there, but you know, they're like background noise. Um, but then, you know, if something, if I'm distressed, um, they can take over. And I think, I guess it takes a lot more Mm -hmm. for them to take over right now. And it, you know, it's weird because I think your original question was, am I in a better place, I guess? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. And like, like I am, but it's also the same. It's just I can tolerate it better, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. No, it does make sense because I think that's also that idea that there's no perfect place to get to. There's mm-hmm. no all done. You know, we're done. We're yeah. All, everything's fine. And I think, and I also, I can't help but think about, I'm thinking a lot about, 
this idea of how you were raised, which you haven't, obviously you haven't compromised anyone's privacy on that. And, and I mm-hmm. won't know the full story, but my sense would be in extrapolating that if you grow up without anyone, and this is the case for so many other areas of life, without anyone confirming or acknowledging what your experience is, then you can grow to question whether or not that experience is valid and whether or not you deserve to have that experience. You know, yeah. and I'm oversimplifying a lot, but I would imagine with mental health that that would just be exacerbated even more. Yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, I, I did not have a great childhood. Um, my <laughs> my family was a really difficult family. I, you know, I had a lot of issues with one of my parents. Um, mm-hmm. They were really abusive. And I also grew up as a gymnast and that's a whole messed up world too. Oh, I um, didn't realize that. Yeah. So are you talking about body dysmorphia and pushing kids um, and eating disorders and things like that? I think like pushing kids to like not like if you're injured, if you say anything, you're being a baby or whatever. Like they kind yeah. of they kind of encourage you to like keep that to yourself. Um or, you know, I, I was actually like watching or listening to a podcast recently and they were saying that, you know, if you grow up as like a gymnast and something hurts and it hurts and it hurts, but your coaches are telling you it doesn't really hurt, it's just going to mess up like your whole perception of like your body and, you know, it's it's like gaslighting yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. your own body (laughs) right and so you kind of it seems like that that's a really big theme in your upbringing then yes (laughs) um I feel like if if I had like a life book my childhood would be like the chapter would be gaslighting yeah um (laughs) yeah yeah because then you have to spend all this time as a grown-up trying to figure out how to get your way to, to make your way back from that yep there's just so many things that go into into a person's mental health, but obviously your childhood and just learning. It, it, it's a hard, you know, I mean, I can't even put it into words. It's just like, you don't know what the truth is because you're told not to trust your truth. Right, right. A lot of people experience that. Yeah. Um, I don't even know how we got here, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, I was gonna, you know, no, I think it's all part of this story. And... I wonder, you know, you, you said you're married and mm-hmm. was that a difficult, was this kind of romantic uh, relationship a hard one to to start or to stay with because of your background? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, we, we've talked about this all the time, uh, me and my husband, we... We both agree, so I don't think he's going to be mad if I say this, but we, we, I think we started dating too soon. I was just coming off of a very toxic relationship. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't ready. I wasn't mentally prepared, and we've been through a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, we've definitely grown since then, and we've, we're great now. But And how long have you been together? We have been together since, hold on. Um, <laughs> I always have to count, too, for my husband. Six years, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it. the first few years were really rough, and it was because I was in a bad place. 
he wasn't in a great place either. Um, and then, you know, I got sick and just stuff kept happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, we're great now. <laughs> it takes, it's, I mean, I just, I, we talk about this a lot on my show, just that, you know, whatever happens growing up and, you know, the landscape that you grow up with emotionally in your family really, mm-hmm. really sets the tone, can really set the tone for your later life and emotionally with a partner. So yeah. I, I would have been really surprised if you said everything was so easy and great. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, going back to going back to your, your thoughts about when people are feeling um, in crisis. So mm-hmm. what, what do you think is a good place to start to help people? I know now that it's not always reasonable to expect someone in crisis to reach out for help. So what, what is some of your advice you might give to people who worry that someone might be in crisis? What, what are some good ways to approach people or situations where this, the, the, the issue of staying alive seems tenuous? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I always, when I think about these things, I think more of like, you know, social programs and stuff like that that should should be in place but if you have a person in your life and you're worried about them I think you know when I was in that position the thing that helped me the most was knowing that people were there for me even though I didn't reach out and I didn't you know, I just had no energy to reach out. But then I had, I have this friend, even to this day, she'll like randomly send me cards and stuff like that. That really, really helped. Um, Because mm-hmm. I just did not, I did not have the energy to reach out to people. I did not have the energy to tell people that I was, that I was really struggling. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that someone doing it out of their own initiative not you know she she wouldn't even pry she would just just remind me that she was there Mm -hmm. um I think that for me it was that was like one of the most life-changing things it was I feel like at times that was like what kept me alive um so even in the darkest place or the hardest the hardest place there was something about that reaching out that you could sort of feel or or know was was something beyond yourself yeah, and I mean, I like I wasn't able to reach out myself, but just knowing that someone was just consistently reminding me that they were there for me, mm-hmm. um, it was I like I can't even tell you how how needed that was, and um, you know, if I feel like if anyone needs to reach out, it's it's the people that are worried about someone um, rather than the other way around. I mean, if, if someone's struggling and they, they want to reach out, that's great. Like, that's amazing. And I'm not going to say don't do that. But like I said, a lot of people can't for a bunch of different reasons. And so if, you know, just remind your friends and your family that, that you're there, like, mm-hmm. I, I think that's really powerful. And, and when you started to incorporate, like, when you started to acknowledge, I guess, this part of yourself instead of separating it from your work, mm-hmm. when did that happen? Okay, so uh, 
late 2018, um, I was, I was hospitalized in a psych hospital, Mm -hmm. um, and didn't say anything to anyone. Um, I mean, obviously my husband knew and like my Mm -hmm. family, like my dad, but I didn't say anything to anyone in terms of like work or even my friends. Um, and I, when I got out of the hospital, I'm not even joking. Like the next day I went and did like a flea market. Like, mm-hmm. like it wow. was, like it was nothing because I think in my head, I, you know, if I was in the hospital because I broke my leg, I wouldn't just, you know, come out of the hospital and go to a flea market. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would probably <laughs> take the time to like recover it. But, you know, because of the way that we look at mental health, I think that I just didn't think that was an option. I didn't think it was an option to be like, hey, like I'm really, you know, struggling. Like I didn't even have to be, you know, I didn't even have to say what was wrong. I could have just been like, there's some stuff going on in my personal life and I can't do the flea market. Mm-hmm. But I didn't do that. <laughs> and yeah. that, that was a very bad idea because any progress that had been made in the hospital, just like it just went right down the toilet because I was, it was, you know, it was a lot of stress. I felt like I had to make up for the week that I was gone. Hmm. Um, I hadn't had like the appropriate time to like plan things because I was in the hospital. And so I was just like scrambling to get everything together. And it was, it was also like, you know, the holidays and the holidays are really hard for retail. Mm -hmm. Um, and this, you know, the, the whole thing just made me worse. It was like, I went to the hospital for nothing. Um, do you think you were trying to prove something to yourself? I think that I just didn't, I didn't know that I had the option to stop. Mm-hmm. I, it was, I, you know, it, I wasn't doing it because of financial reasons. Mm-hmm. It, it, it was more like in my head, mental health didn't seem like a valid reason to take some time off. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, like I said, if I had some yeah. disease, I would have been like, I'm sorry, I'm sick. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it just, it did not, I didn't look at it the same. Um, and I think it wasn't like an immediate thing after that, that I realized what had happened. But at some point, um, 2019, early 2019, it like dawned on me that I just couldn't keep the two things separate. Um, especially cause you know, it's like, I'm a one person show. Um, it's mm-hmm. not like, it's not like I'm it's a business with a bunch of people. It's just me and it's my art. And my art is not only informed by, you know, my mental health. It, it's just me. It's just me putting my stuff out there and just whatever. And, there's just no way to keep both things separate. And, you know, at first I started very, very slowly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I would just say, you know, just very like vague, like, 
struggling with my mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I started going a little bit more into having borderline personality disorder, which Mm -hmm. is what I have Mm -hmm. other than OCD. Um, And I got very, I had a friend who was seeing, you know, what I was putting out and she's since apologized, but, um, she basically had a very negative reaction to me saying that I had BPD, um, because, um, you know, one of her parents had BPD and I guess, you know, it was just not a good relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was extremely hurtful for me because I just, (laughs) it felt like the stigma of the disorder it was just like a friend just threw it on me, you know, like that was, that was really, really hard for me. And on the one hand, I just felt bad, but on the other hand, I think it just pissed me off. And I got very upset that I was talking about this and then that I was like stigmatized like this. And it it felt like after everything I had been through with my mental health for someone to get upset with me for talking about it, it just made me want to talk about it more. Oh, well, that's healthy. (laughs) Um, because, you know, I just felt like I had been so unseen and unheard before. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I just, it just made me mad because I, you know, I didn't think I was a bad person, <laughs> or at least, you know, I, I try really hard not to be a bad person. So. Right. I, what about the response? I mean, I see the response to your post, but I'm curious, you know, what you think about the response. Um, I think it's really changed the mo- like the m- more vocal I've become about it. The more people have embraced it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people realizing that whatever stigma there is I'm not like that you know whatever they imagine a person with OCD or BPD would be like um so I think the more open I'm being about it the more people are coming around and I mean that's the whole point right like I I'm trying to tell people that it's not what they think Mm -hmm. (laughs) um Mm -hmm. And so it just grew from there. And then there was like this one day, um, I was having a really bad day. And so I just made some posts. I don't even remember what I said, but I was talking about my experience with OCD because I was just re- having a really bad episode or something. Can't remember. But I put out this post just kind of like explaining what OCD was like in my head. Mm. Not, not what, you know, people think of when they think of OCD, but just how I experience it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the post had a really positive response because a lot of people were like, wow, like I didn't realize, you know, that this is what it's like. I just thought it was people like are obsessed with cleaning or whatever. Um mm-hmm. And because of the response to that post, a lot of people were sending me their stories via like DM. Mm-hmm. 
And it just like occurred to me that I could create like a thing where people could submit their own stories and I would post them every week. Um, And that's how Mental Health Sundays started. Um, So every Sunday, except last Sunday, because I was dealing with the whole like anti-Semitism thing. So the anti-Semitism, how would you say that that is something you deal with regularly? And how do you experience the anti-Semitism? Because I see that your posts are very informative about Mm -hmm. the the different kinds of Jews there are. And I know it's such a big topic, but can you talk a little bit about the anti-Semitism that you're responding to on your page? Currently? um, Oh my God. I, (laughs) I get like at least 10 messages a day (laughs) telling me to go kill myself, which is great. And so Um, for anyone who hasn't seen them, can you talk a little bit about what you're posting? Right. So um, as things started to get bad for Jews recently, um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I kind of snapped. I had always avoided talking about it because I just knew that there was going to be backlash because people are like that. Yeah. Um, But I have like a very intense background let's say into like Jewish history um I worked like my first job ever was at a Jewish history museum and I also like I was just always very interested in like researching everything and it's it's always been a huge part of my life but I just never felt very comfortable doing it publicly just because you know there's always like the backlash and people are horrible um but as things started to like get worse and worse. I just, I just snapped one day Hmm. and I made a story about it and it got like a huge response. And a lot of people were telling me like, Oh, I didn't know that, you know, um, like that's so interesting. I had never learned that blah, blah, blah. And I just got so many messages, not just from people that are not Jewish, but also from Jews being like, I did not know that. I'm sure I was one of them because I hadn't heard (laughs) some of that history ever. Yeah. And it just, you know, it's upsetting to me that as Jews, we're not taught our history, right? You know, (laughs) like, you know, we learn about the Holocaust and that's pretty much it. Like it, it, you know, Mm -hmm. there's, or like, you know, biblical stories, but but let's talk about like the other things that happened, which were a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Um, And because of my background on that, I've just always found it very, I guess, sad that people don't know this about their history. Mm -hmm. And then there's, you know, like the people that are not Jewish, who I feel like uh, do not understand the extent of what has been done to the Jews. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so as I was getting that response, I was like, well, you know what? <clears throat> I have this platform. I'm not going to make a whole new Instagram because I don't care enough to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have this platform and I might as well just, you know, I'm already using it for the mental health Sundays thing. Um, so I might as well, just you know do the Jewish thing too um and it's it's gotten a good response like a really good response but also a really bad response Mm. um just from people that are hateful or just are very inconvenienced by historical facts (laughs) it's one of the most um the biggest misconceptions you you see 
in either the Jewish or the non-Jewish population? Because like I said, you mm -hmm. educated me on some things that I didn't even know. I think the most frustrating thing for me is that before anyone can take anything that I'm saying seriously, and this is mostly for non-Jews, but also American Jews sometimes, um, they ask me for my, what do I think about Palestine? Mm -hmm. and, and I find that so frustrating because we're not talking about Palestine right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, that's also a conversation, but I'm not Palestinian, so that's not my conversation. Why are you asking me about that? Mm -hmm. um, I feel like the people that should teach about Palestine are Palestinians. Mm -hmm. um, just as I'm Jewish, I'm going to teach about Jewish things. I'm not going to, you know, right. I, I don't, you know, I don't feel like I have to, or I shouldn't have to tell people, like, I shouldn't have to get the right opinion on Palestine before they can listen to me about Jewish things. Right, um, right. You know, you, you wouldn't do that to anyone else. You wouldn't, I mean, I, I don't want to use examples and I'm not calling anyone out. I'm just saying, like, if you're talking about Syrian refugees, like progressive people would never be like, okay, but like, what's your opinion on LGBTQ rights mm -hmm. before they agree to like care about them? Because, you know, mm -hmm. you should just care about them because they're humans is same as Jews. We're humans. Whatever mm -hmm. our opinion is on Palestine is really irrelevant to whether we deserve to live or die, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's been the most frustrating thing for me. Mm -hmm. Are you, do you ever have moments of, of regret at all for putting stuff out there or have you gone all in? Uh, I had a big moment of regret last week. <laughs> um, I don't know why I'm laughing like that. I just, I really appreciate that you're so honest about it. Yeah. Um, I well, I mean, other than like the horrible DMs and the harassment and like, cause there's these, these people that will just like make accounts to harass me and I'll block them and they'll make a new one. And it's like, wow. oh, oh my God, like, don't you, that's a lot to take. I mean, Debbie, that's a lot to take, especially because of your, yeah. your need for mental health. Yeah. It, you know, I, I finally realized that boundaries need to happen mm -hmm. because I used to feel like I it was my responsibility to educate every last person that DM'd me even if they were like super rude I felt like I had to defend myself mm -hmm. or like I had to prove to them that I deserved you know to be there right like you deserve yeah. your you're entitled to your viewpoints and experience right yeah um and so yeah it it, it was just like a lot to take because I was I was stretching myself like way too thin. I mean, I get like hundreds of DMs. Wow. And I can't be educating hundreds of people. So but, what did you adjust? What did you change? So so what happened was last week I found out on top of the DMs and on top of, you know, these horrible people, I also found out that people were spreading lies about me to my friends, um, <laughs> which is just like so ridiculous to me. Like, come on. Um, <laughs> just, you know, things that never happened, but they're just trying to like prove I'm a horrible person. Um, and that was like, what did me in? Like <laughs> that was, I was just like at the end of my rope and I was like, I'm done. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. I should have never opened that can of worms, blah, blah, blah. And I posted about it. I was like, I'm done. And oh my God, I can't tell you how many DMs I got. People 
I feel weird saying this because I'm not trying to like put myself on a pedestal or anything, but people telling me that they like learned a lot from my posts and they it made them feel seen and all this stuff and kind of made me realize, you know, like the bigots are always going to scream louder. Mm -hmm. um, and it made me realize that my work is important, but I just couldn't keep going the way that I was going. I was like, okay, so I need to like establish boundaries. I can't, you know, I can't educate people in my DMs. I, even if they're nice, I just can't do it because I can't spend all day talking to a hundred people. Um, mm -hmm. I asked people to please stop tagging me in comment sections that would get like anti-Semitic, like just people saying horrible right, things. I saw that. Mm -hmm. Because that just attracts people to my page that are going to be horrible to me. Um, because that's how they find me. Mm -hmm. Um, right. Otherwise they wouldn't be following Roots Metals. Exactly. Um, mm -hmm. then, um, you know, people always send me like, did you see this horrible thing that happened? And it's just like, I, I can't be getting that from a hundred people. It, it's too much. It, you know, <laughs> it mm -hmm. r really takes your will to live away. If you're constantly getting bombarded by people showing you horrible things. Mm -hmm. you know about yeah Jews getting killed or something um and I've just really stuck to my boundaries for like the past four days which is so <laughs> how's it going <laughs> it, it, it feels great I've been deleting a lot of messages instead of yeah. feeling like I have to prove myself um That's great it, you know I'm trying to look at it like I look at my mental health posts like if someone's gonna be a jerk I'm just gonna block them mm -hmm. so yeah and, you know does your yeah. husband um does your husband support like the way that you've handled this yeah I mean every time I get a horrible message he's like take a screenshot and send it to me I'm like okay mm -hmm. um because I've I've gotten some scary things like I had this guy like send me like a picture of like all his rifles on his bed um which you know it's really scary to, it to is get scary that. I would say that to be in your position and then to be able to be brave enough to put out that kind of content knowing you know how hard you've had to work to get to where you are I feel like is pretty courageous yeah I mean I I get I get scared every day but it also proves to me how how important it is for me to uh, keep speaking out because mm -hmm. if it's getting that much backlash then you know the world really needs to learn more <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so where can people find you um so my instagram is roots metals and then my website is rootsmetals.com Mm -hmm. um so on my website I sell my jewelry obviously I put out three collections a year um and then I also have a blog where you can find you know all my mental health posts and um anti-semitism stuff Debbie thank you so much for being my guest and for 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 sharing your experience and everything that you've learned and gone through I so appreciate it it was really fun thank you for having me Thanks for listening to And Then Everything Changed. 
For more on this episode and other interviews you might like, please visit atecpodcast.com. You can also find And Then Everything Changed on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you like this podcast, please do share it with your friends and take a minute and rate and review so that others can hear these stories too. Thanks for listening.